0: Welcome again. So glad you're with us. If you take your Bible, we're going to go to the very first book in the Bible, uh, Genesis. We're going to be specifically in Genesis chapter 15, although we're going to be all over the place in the book of Genesis this morning as we continue our, our part two, or our second installment of Crazy Faith and how God calls us to take steps of faith that don't make sense, that aren't rational, that seem impossible. And so we're going we're gonna to go down that pathway, but let me catch you up if you missed last week. We're studying the life of Abraham and how God called him to do something that absolutely was irrational. made no sense whatsoever. Him and his family were settled in a city called Ur, which is present-day Baghdad. They acquired a lot of wealth, had family ties, had friendships, had a great place in the community. They were not followers of God yet, but God brought himself to them and they had such an encounter, specifically Abraham, that he turned to the living God that we know, and God called him to go to the land of Canaan, which is present-day Israel. I said, He said, leave everything, bring your family, go to Canaan and settle there, and I promise three blessings. One, I'm going to bless you. Two, I'm going to bless your offspring in the sense that you are going to become a great nation, which we now today, know today as is present-day Israel. And three, we're going to bless all people through you, meaning out of Israel, he's going to bring about Jesus to where everybody can know God. We can experience redemption, experience grace, or experience second chances. And so, Abram takes this step of faith and following God, and, and really it was a step out of a comfort zone. And if you missed last week, let me sum it up for you, it's really in one phrase Obedience is not complicated, but it can be difficult, right? For Abram, it was pretty simple. He's got to go to Israel. He's got to go to Canaan. He's got to leave everything behind. That's what God called him to do. But it was difficult. He was leaving everything that he had, everything that he knew along the journey. His father had died. All he had as an heir to all of his wealth and all of his blessing was his. Nephew Lot, as we're going to see in a few moments, was a little bit dysfunctional, to say the least. And so there's a lot of hardship that goes along with taking steps of faith. That's why we call it crazy faith. But when we choose to leave our comfort zones and be obedient, God has a way of blessing us and empowering us through those moments. But this morning, we're going to transition a little bit because in everyone's spiritual journey, in everyone's faith walk, you come to a place to where you say, that's impossible. You know what I'm talking about, right? This doesn't seem, not only is it not logical, it's impossible. This can't happen. This can't, I can't overcome this. There's a lot of things in my way. Not only are barriers, these are, these are mountain ranges. This is the Mount Everest of overcoming something. It may be a broken relationship. It may be uh, a, a sense of anxiety that is just magnified by a billion. It may be financially it's not going to happen. I, I don't know what your impossible issue is, but I guarantee you everyone in this room has one, right? It's a step of faith God's calling you to take, and you look at him and say, no way. Okay, I believe in crazy faith, I believe you're going to bless me, but you know, God, I don't know if this can happen. Now, I did something this past week I've never ever done before, and I was able to say a phrase that I've never been able to say before, but let me kind of give you the backstory. story. 10.30, 10 o'clock Tuesday night, I get a weird phone call um, that thankfully my wife has never said to me, it was my mother on the phone. And I'll tell you why I'm glad my wife never said it. The, the phrase was this: uh, "Your sister's water is broken." I praise Jesus that didn't happen to my family, but it did to my sister, and she can live with that. And so uh, we get the phone call. We, uh, my sister has a plan for everything. Mary much not like me. She's detailed. She's intelligent. All that stuff I'm not. And so I rush to her house. I uh, get my niece. The plan was to take my two-year-old niece to our house. So we've had a toddler in our home uh, for the first time in eight years, for more than five hours, which is an adjustment to say the least. Uh, nothing in our house is baby-proof anymore, which I praise Jesus for. And so uh, we bring her to our house, and uh, interesting thing is we're putting her to bed. We finally get her settled down at 12.30, and within two hours of getting that phone call, I get a text from my brother-in-law It says 7 pounds 11 ounces. And here's what I get to say I've never been able to say before. I say, how's my nephew? I don't have a nephew until... This past week, my son was the first boy born on either side of the family and the only boy until this past Tuesday night, Wednesday night, wherever you want to call it. And so that was him. And so uh, he's very thankful. And here's why I say this relates to the sermon. As we go to the hospital the next morning and I see Cade, my son, holding his nephew, it's like this was impossible because... My nephew, Brooks, and that's my middle name and my son's middle name, so I, he's obviously named after me because I'm awesome. and That's uh, no, a family name. Uh, and so uh, as he's, my son's sitting there holding him, and I get to hold him too, that's not supposed to happen. This is like eight years of infertility. This is like eight years of praying. It's like eight years of not only did my niece, Anna, not supposed, was not supposed to be here, but her little brother, Brooks, has been frozen in a lab in a test tube for the last two and a half years. This is what, to me, is. I look at that, not only is the miracle of childbirth impossible to me, but to see all the circumstances that we as a family prayed for and we're very tight-knit and worked through, this is impossible. But God has a way of showing up in impossible situations. Now, I say all that knowing that sometimes, as we make those impossible prayer requests, God has a way of answering it. This is three ways. This is how he always answers his prayers. Yes, no, and wait. I hate the last one, don't you? (laughs) And so we're going to see in the life of Abraham how he comes to an impossible point in his faith journey. He was 75 years old when God called him out of the land of Ur, Baghdad, to go to Israel. His wife had never had a child before. She was up in age, obviously, we'll say 70 uh, as well. And they make this trek to Canaan. And after 10 years of living there, Lot, his nephew, has abandoned him. He's left and followed his own pleasures and lusts. And he has just completely left Abraham standing without any heir to all of this thing. Because God has blessed him. God has blessed him with herds. God has blessed him with flocks. God has blessed him with territory. God has blessed him with people. And their empire is starting to grow. But yet, Lot has left And Abram's standing there, God, you are blessing me, but there is no heir. There is no product. There is no offspring. There is nothing happening. How are you going to do what you say you're going to do by establishing a new nation from me? And nobody's here to take the mantle. Nobody's here. How are you going to do the impossible, God? Y'all been there before? I've done exactly what I feel like you've called me to do. And still I'm at a point of absolute complication and confusion. Go to chapter 15. I want you to hear what happens here, because this is a wonderful dialogue between the Lord and between Abram. His name transitions to Abraham in just a moment, but we know him as Abram, which means God has called. And notice what happens starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, I want to stop here. This is not in my notes this morning, but I want to point out something that is so gospel-centered and can change your life. Notice, notice the very part of verse 1. He says, your very great reward. Our reward is not in how God answers our prayers. Our reward is knowing the Lord himself. You get that? Our reward is not in circumstantial or temporal happiness or displeasure or stuff or how he answers in, a, in the fact that he gives a baby or how he answers and how he gives you provision. It's not in that. Your greatest joy is in knowing and nurturing a relationship with God. My, one of my favorite pastors is, is basically says this, John Piper, he says, God is most glorified when you are more satisfied in him. I love that. And we find our Joy and just by knowing God, that changes the game. Now that was for free. Let's keep rolling. But Abram said in verse two, Sovereign Lord, what what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant Lot has gone. Lot has abandoned me and gone to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, and the person who's going to inherit. All of this blessing you've given me is my servant, Eliezer. God, he's a good dude, but he's from Damascus, which is in present-day Syria. He's not even of my kin, but the law says when I pass on and Sarah's gone, he gets it. How are you going to provide and establish your kingdom in this nation and bless all nations when you've promised offspring and I don't have one? And by the way, God, I've been here 10 years. I am 85 years old. Now imagine, I'm 40, okay? The idea of bringing an infant into my home right now makes me want to crawl up in a fetal position in the back of my closet and weep, okay? This dude is 85 years old. Y'all feel me on this? I'm trying to give you some intensity here because children are intense, all right? (laughs) Y'all with me, right? Thank you. (laughs) Now get what happens. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now this is an incredible promise from God. He reiterates to Abram over and over again. I'm going to bless you. Stay calm. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to fulfill my promise. Stay calm. Okay, but here's here's Abram's problem. And I'm betting it's your problem, too, because I know it's mine. Do you guys ever get ahead of God? And what I mean by that is, like, you just want to, come on, Lord, you know, let's speed it up. You know what I mean? I want this prayer answered. I feel like you've told me to wait. But, Lord, it's been like two hours, you know, <laughs> been like two weeks. For Abram, it's been 10 years. He's 85. He's left everything. He's in Canaan. My wife's 75 now, Lord, 80, I don't know. God, come on. And, and the thing is, is that when we're taking impossible steps of faith and we're waiting on God to answer the prayer, sometimes we want to hurry him along, right? We want to, we want to make sure that he's, he's, he's on track, God. You know, I know you're God, you know everything, but Lord, I'm here and this is what I really need now. The check should have come in last week. You know, God, and I know you're going to provide. I'm flipping out a little bit, you know, all that stuff. Go to chapter 16. I want you to see what happens in verses 1 through 3. We're going to skip around a little bit. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, and this was customary during this period of time, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, He's 85 years old. Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and now she's pregnant. Now, I want you to go back to something here because I want you to go back to verse 2 because there's there's an interesting phrase at the very end of that verse. It says, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. literally translated in the Hebrew text. It says, Abram listened to Sarah. Now, Sarah's a good woman. She's followed him across the world, right? She's said, you know what? I haven't seen and talked to God like you have, but I trust you. Uh, I've seen God blessing us. But he's promised this blessing, and therefore he he hasn't delivered. And I'm 80 years old now, honey. uh, You're 85. We're not spring chickens anymore. And so let's just hurry this along. Maybe God's saying to do it this way like our neighbors are doing it. And so uh, here's Hagar and y'all go have a baby, and I'll raise uh, the child like he's mine. And later on, they have Ishmael, who's the father of the Arabic people, and God fulfills the promise, and there's another story. But interestingly enough, I want want to go back to that verse, the last part of verse 2. Let's throw it back on the screen. It says that Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Abram listened to Sarah. Here's what I want you to understand. This is our first principle this morning. I have a sign of this. I have this sign in my office because it's so important for us to get. Never confuse the voice of the majority with the voice of God. That is so important to get. Never confuse the voice. Even good voices. Even even godly spouses who have your best interests in mind. Never confuse the voice of the majority with the voice of God. Because everything in Abram's life is pointing to this reality that you're too old, um, You can't do this. Uh, Your wife is barren, and now she's old beyond childbearing age. There is no way. There's no way. This this is impossible. But many times, God has us waiting, and what I want to encourage you is don't begrudge that time of waiting. Something is happening in those periods of time. For Abram, it was 10, 15 years of waiting. Waiting for God to answer his prayer. Waiting for God to do the impossible. And what's so fascinating about Abraham's story and Sarah's experiences is that even though in these moments they hurried God along, God continued to have his plan before him and accomplish that plan. But never, ever confuse the voice of the majority with the voice of God. Ever. Because what's so fascinating, we're going to flip over, I want you to go to chapter um, Go to chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. What's so fascinating about this is that this wasn't God's plan. God's plan is far more important here. And so cra- taking crazy steps of faith, there's going to be moments where the impossible seems like something that can't be accomplished unless you hurry it along. Don't. Don't. Don't confuse this. Don't confuse circumstance with God's provision and God's pruning. Don't confuse the gospel with something other than the gospel that may be easier to follow. Don't confuse God's leadership in a certain area when it seems like this doesn't make sense. Don't don't confuse that. And the way we don't confuse that is by hearing what God says. Go to chapter 17. Notice what he says to Abram later on. Ishmael is born. Uh, uh, Abram was about 86 years old. At 99 years old, Ishmael's roughly 13. Notice what happens. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Now things are going great. Hagar has had a baby. Ishmael's the heir. Things are supposed to be panning out the way that Abraham and God have planned. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. He says, I am God Almighty. Ooh, that is a good statement here. I love the movie Rudy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I love that movie, and there's a wonderful scene in that movie where Rudy and uh, a priest were talking about God's plan, and the priest said, I know two things for certain. There's a God, and I'm not him. That is great wisdom for us, right? (laughs) I am the Lord God Almighty. It's my plan here, not yours, Abram. Get this. I'm God Almighty. Walk before me with faithfulness and blamelessness. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means God has chosen, you will be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. The kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, which you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, I will be their God. So he reiterates his promise, I'm going to establish this kingdom. It's going to be through you. But I want you to skip down. Let's skip down to verse 15. Because then God puts an exclamation point on this promise. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife. Now, interestingly enough, Sarah, S-A-R-A-I, as you see on the screen there, means quarrelsome. Everything has a meaning. You are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, which means princess. The reason God is doing this and he's making these name changes is because he's drastically changing the identity of who Abraham and Sarah are. You're not just simply God called. I'm making this covenant, this promise to you. Uh, uh, Your identity has changed, Abram. You are not just God called. You are God is going to bless you and make you the father of many nations. This promise is going to be fulfilled. And by the way, your barren, 85-year-old wife, Sarah, Who's quarrelsome? I live with Sarah. That's my wife's name. She's a princess, though. (laughs) Who's quarrelsome? I'm going to make her a princess because I'm going to establish her as the mother of nations. Get that next part. I will bless her in verse 16 and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her that she will be the mother of nations, kings of people will come. From her. So God reiterates his promise. And then he goes down a little bit further. And I want you to guess. Go to chapter 18. A little while later, the angels of the Lord visited Abram. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. Abram puts out a dinner for him and they're sitting there talking. Starting in verse 9, the angel of the Lord asks, Where is your wife Sarah? They ask him. Well, there in the tent, Abram said, Abraham said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, these, guys, these cats are 99 years old, all right? Like I said before, I'm 40, having an infinite 99. Just take me now, Jesus. All right. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Now, this is so important. Don't skip over that. Not only had she been barren all her life, now the impossible has moved to impossible plus a million because she's way beyond childbearing years. She's old. Then she says this, so Sarah laughed to herself, and she thought, after I'm worn out. I love that. And my Lord is old. Well, I now have this pleasure. I love that. And I want you to go back to verse 12 and 11, where it says she laughs to herself. This is a laugh of disdain, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all have done this before. It's like, really? Really? After I am, Abraham, God, is 99 years old, all right? I can't even get him off the couch to go feed the sheep anymore, okay? Lord, and I, I'm old too, and you're going to bring an infant into this tent, Yeah. You know? And here's what I want you to understand. You never confuse the voice of God with the voice of the majority, but here's part two to this. It's simply this. God's will is in God's word. God's will is God's word. You get that? Because here's what's so fascinating. Starting in chapter 12 of Genesis where we started last week and all the way through halfway down chapter 18, over and over again, God promises, God promises, God promises, God promises. God's will was his word. That is Huge. Because here, here you and I are, and we're always trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? Y'all are there, right? God, what do you want me to do? God, how do I follow this? How, do I, how am I supposed to do this? Lord, what do I do in my life? Y'all have been there. How do I, how do I handle the situation? And we have to listen to the voice of God because God's will is in his word. And there's three ways you do that. One is real simple. You get in the Bible. I mean, guys, for those of us that struggle with God's word, Are trying to figure out God's will, and yet we've not opened up Scripture to understand how to handle things and what He wants for us in a general sense and how to discern things. Here's the deal you're asking God to answer a prayer that He's already answered and is sitting on your coffee table. That hurts a little bit, doesn't it? That's where you begin. You learn these principles, you learn these truths, you apply them, you sit in Scripture daily because that's God speaking. Then we also seek him in prayer. Lord, what do you want? I'm open hearted about this. Teach me, tell me, specifically. And when we come to the conclusion, we go to God's people. This is all throughout the book of Proverbs, is we seek godly counsel. People that know you and can look at it objectively. Understand, God's will is God's word. And we're trying to figure out how to handle impossibility or follow God in impossible ways. It begins by not confusing his voice with others, and it continues by understanding that his word is his will. And so as Abraham has these moments and Sarah now is laughing to herself, God has promised that this will be so awesome here. But I want you to get another aspect of this because we're going to continue to stay in Genesis chapter 18. Notice what happens. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, I really have no child? Well, I really have a child now that I'm old. And this is how they respond. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time. Don't miss that phrase, at the appointed time, okay? We're going to come back to that. Next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied. Man, I've done this. And said, I did not laugh, but God knows you did, okay? (laughs) But he said, yes, you did laugh. There's two laughters in this text that we're going to be reading this morning. That's the first one. But here's what we draw out of this. Go back to verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time. Understand this. So much of waiting on God and and taking steps of faith is wondering when God's going to do it. All right? And what we've got to understand is that God's time zones um, aren't aligned according to, to... They aren't aligned according to our plan, but to his plan. Get that? God's time zones, God's timing is not about us and when we want it. I mean, we are a fast food society. We want it right now, right? If we have to wait in line longer than five minutes at McDonald's, it is a tragedy. Agreed? But understand something. Nothing is too hard for God, but God never shows up early or late. It's right on time. His time zones are in alignment with his plans, not ours. And what's so important to Abraham and Sarah at this moment is that as they're 99 years old, sitting in a tent in the middle of Canaan after they'd left everything over 20 years before, Looking at Ishmael grow up before their eyes and having dreams and thoughts of how Ishmael's going to grow up and inherit all this and God's going to establish it through them. God said, no, 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 that's not my plan. It never has been my plan. Sarah, you're going to have a child. It's going to come in my timing. I'm going to provide for it in my way because your plans and my plans aren't in alignment. And guess what? Mine are better. We have to get that. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. His time zones are aligned with his plans, not ours. As you go through some impossible situations, as you go through some difficult circumstances where you're wondering, Lord, when? This is where you dig deep. You dig deep in the word, you dig deep in your faith, and you say, God, I got to recognize here that your your purposes outweigh what I want in these moments. Your purposes and plans are far better than what I can conjure up on my own. I have to trust you in this. But there's another facet. Don't confuse the voice of the majority with the voice of God. Understand that God's will is God's word. Get the fact that time zones of God are aligned with his plans and not ours. But the fourth thing is this. Go to chapter 21. Because here's where we see everything. Now I want to as you turn there I want to kind of we're not going to go back and deal with this in the next few weeks but I want to help you understand something from chapter 18 really roughly until chapter 20 a couple of things are happening. but The most important thing is that Abraham's heart is completely broken because of Lot Lot finds himself in trouble he's moved to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah um, or moved to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is there as well he falls into the wrong crowd God destroys the cities and Lot completely abandons Abraham therefore any hope of any inheritance that's carried on through a lineage of Abraham and Sarah has vanquished with the person of Lot. Does that make sense? So we have that happening we come to chapter 21 Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said in verse 1, chapter 21. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. This is so good. At the very time God had promised him. Isn't that cool? He did as he said. He did it when he said. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Verse 4. When, Sarah, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and got, as God commanded. We're going to come back to verse 4 at the very end. Verse 5, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God blessed him in his ministry. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. Now remember, she laughed in chapter 18. You remember that? It was a laugh of rearrite yeah, But now... Even in the Hebrew language, and this is what this Old Testament was written in, the change in laughter is drastic. It goes from a laugh of whatever to a laugh of just complete exuberance and joy that God has delivered on his promise. Sarah said, "God is, verse 6, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And we're laughing this morning, even to this day. And she added, who would have said to Abraham, That Sarah would nurse a child, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Here's the point. It's really simple. There are two things happening in verses 1 through 5 here, 1 through 7. One, God delivers his purpose, and two, and our pleasure. So not at the same time. The pleasure was that they had a baby finally after waiting, say this one, 100 years, okay? Most of us will not make it that long. I'm just being real. I don't want to dash your hopes, okay? But they've waited 100 years, and God delivers, and so does Sarah. But understand me, God's purpose in this is not just their joy. God's purpose was that Isaac would have children, and he does, Jacob and Esau. Jacob becomes Israel. He has 12 children. Those 12 children become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 guys provide kids For the rest of Israel, and while in Egypt, in slavery and in bondage, there's so many of them that they leave and they go to Israel, back to their homeland, they establish their country, and eventually, as we draw this line, and you can see this in the the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, eventually, there's this guy named Joseph, who marries this girl named Mary, who's already pregnant because she's a virgin and God decided to put a baby inside her womb. He becomes Jesus. Jesus lives for 30 years or so, dies on a cross to take the punishment that all people deserve. And by rising from the dead, he conquers death. So he killed sin and he killed death in that one moment, in those three days in the crucifixion and the resurrection. And when you, here in Winder, Georgia, ask him to come into your life, you get salvation. And the epitome of your joy, going all the way back to chapter 15, verses 1, where it said the Lord is your reward, meaning his glory is where your joy is. The greatest glory that God ever demonstrated was not in creation. It's when he took a sinner like me and like many of you and said, I'm going to restore you to a position of perfection through the person of Jesus because he's God, he dies, he rose from the dead, you're mine forever. You get that? the purpose was way more profound than their pleasure. But the cool thing is, this is the benevolence of our Lord and the sovereignty of our Lord and the justice of our Lord all at the same time, I'm going to give you joy. Isn't that cool? I mean, the complexity of God's plans are so simple in his mind but so radical in ours. And so... Understand me, as Abraham and Sarah deal with all of this stuff of not having children and waiting and waiting and waiting a hundred years and God delivering on his promise, it just wasn't for Sarah and Abraham. And when God answers your promise or he says no, it's just not for you. There is more to the story. There is more that's happening here. But here's the problem, and this is where we kind of want to land this morning. So many of us in this room have been praying some crazy prayers and taking big steps of faith, and God hadn't answered, or God just said no. Are y'all, what I'm talking about, right? And we're we're irritated about that. We're frustrated about that, and and we don't know how to how to struggle through that. I mean, for for Abraham and Aaron, I mean, the answer was he waited hundred years, and boom, he's got a baby, and he did answer the prayer, even though he had to wait a hundred years. For us, the the prayer I mean, may not ever be answered. God may just say no completely. And, and how we respond to that really tells us a lot about where we are spiritually, especially in those moments. I mean, I've had God tell me no, and I had my initial freak out, and I'm not very proud of that. But, but when he does tell us no, or he doesn't answer like we want, or something happens we don't agree with it, doesn't align with what we think it ought to happen, that's where we struggle. Would y'all agree on that? That's where, that's where the answer is. So how, how, do we, how do we move through that, and how do we take all this stuff here and apply it? Here's what I want you to get. And, and we're going to do this principle, give you some application and get out of here. But I want you to get this. Crazy faith, guys, isn't about making you happy. It's where we'd show up at church and there's three rows and two people, you know, and one of them would leave. Um, and so it, it was just an up and down period of time for us. And we came to a point about a year and a half into it to where um, if there, there was no money to pay us, and we sat there and looked at our budget. We looked at what we needed to pay our mortgage with. What we had to pay our car payment with. What we had to buy groceries with. And we looked what the church could pay us. And it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, it wasn't going to happen at all. And it was an anxious time for us. because this doesn't make sense, Lord. I mean, God, you've called us here. And I don't feel like you're delivering on your calling. Now, Understand. Eight months before that, I'd gotten a phone call. I used to speak at youth camps around the country, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine from Dry Creek, Louisiana. There is not even a dry creek in Dry Creek, Louisiana. There is nothing there but a campground and a store that sells very bad sausage. I mean, it's just not a cool place. So I said, "Yeah, man, I'd love to come preach." And so I went uh, to go preach, knowing that I'd left my two young children with my wife at home, which is a step of crazy faith in itself, and knowing that we had no money, knowing that God was going to have to provide, so I flew to the middle of South East Louisiana at an airport I'd never heard of, got out, drove another two hours of dry creek, Louisiana, spent the week preaching, and at the end of the week, I know on that Friday, I'm flying back in a few hours, and I'm going home, and I have got a tragedy personally on my hand, and yet i got to go and tell our church how good God is the next week, and I ain't feeling it. Y'all been there? I just ain't feeling it. we well, I did these things, we've done these things, we've taken these crazy steps, and Where's your provision? I'm leaving. They hand me an envelope. And I open it up and it was my check for spending the week with them preaching. And it was exactly what we needed. Now, God did provide in those moments. But here's the deal, and this is the bigger principle. During that time of just, Lord, we've got to depend on you, was not about making us happy. It was about growing us spiritually. Crazy faith is not about making you and I happy. It's about making you and I holy. And my deepest prayer is that I pray that you are taking a crazy step of faith through this teaching series. But understand me on this. It's not about an end result. It's about a process of growth. And I want want you so much to grow. I do. I want you so much to step out of of sin, step out of of, and even myself, guys. I pray this for my children and myself, my wife, and and you as well, to step outside of just culturally what's confining you and grow. Remember, obedience isn't complicated. It's difficult. It's not complicated to grow spiritually. The Bible and prayer and church, that's it. And he will grow you. And I so want want you to taste that. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. But it's not about making you happy, it's about making you holy. It's not about making me happy, it's about making me holy. And as you grow through that, there's one principle of application that we learn from Abraham and Sarah. I want you to go back to verse 4, chapter 21. Notice what he does here. And this is going to sound really obscure. And you're like, Chip, why did you read this verse again? There's so much meaning here. When, Isaac, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. A circumcision was not just... A medical procedure, it was a symbol that this child was not Abraham and Sarah's child, that this child was dedicated to God. And what Abraham demonstrates in these moments, and as we're going to see next week, is we don't cling to stuff or people, we depend on the Lord instead. And that's our point, that's our application. Crazy steps of faith, dealing with the impossible, is not about clinging here, it's about depending there. And your big step of crazy faith that he may be leading you to take in these moments is a step of clinging to, not here, but clinging to Christ, depending upon him. And your biggest step of dependence this morning is if you're wrestling with your salvation, is to take that step of faith and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come in our life and forgive you. And the way we do that here at River Hills is on the back of the Connect card that you were given. There's a couple of boxes at the top, and the first one says, for the very first time, I want to ask Christ to come into my life. I want to become a Christian. That's a crazy step of faith. Or the second box says, uh, "I I want more information about becoming a Christian. Or maybe the third box, and that's you. You are a Christian, but you've never taken a crazy step and been baptized. But whatever that step is, stop clinging to the comfortable and start depending on the Lord for your salvation and for your life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And I ask God that you would make us holy. I ask God that you would make us right. I ask God that we would grow in you. I ask God that we would understand what it means to follow you. I ask God that you would overwhelm us with your presence. And that, God, that we would grow. And for those that don't know you, that never made a step of hey, in Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And we see all this provision that you started way back in Genesis, God, that they would get it today and find a pathway that leads to heaven. I pray that for them. But, Lord, for those that do know you, I pray, God, also that you would help us take crazy steps, take a step out of miserable mediocrity of our faith and follow you spiritually. God, give us that faith. Let us do what's necessary. Let us not be, and it's so true, God, let us not be a church of consumers but a body of believers that benefits from your grace but extends it to others. Lord, help us hear your word clearly. Help us grow in our passion and pursuit of you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen.